0: Welcome to
1: the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
2: Welcome to the Table. We discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is a little bit of an unusual one. We're going to be talking about identity, but we're also going to talk about how change in cultural context impacts identity. Um, People form their identity, and identity itself is a complex topic, but then when you have people shift space, it also impacts the way you see yourself. And my guest is Jenny McGill, who is formerly uh, at Dallas Seminary, but now is regional dean in northern Indiana and Illinois. Indiana Wesleyan University. So welcome, Jenny. It's uh, good to have you. And Jenny has written a book that is a summary of research that she did. It's entitled uh, Religious Identity and Cultural Negotiation Toward a Theology of Christian Identity and Migration. And, it's, and it really is a study. So let's talk about how does one even get to the point of, uh, of studying something like this? Where did your interest in this topic come from?
1: Well, my undergrad was psychology, Mm -hmm. and my master's was in intercultural studies. So when it came to studying at the doctoral level, I wanted to find a program that would allow me to study the concept of identity interdisciplinarily, so looking at it through different lenses of different fields of study. So. That's where I started my previous social science background and then theology.
2: Okay. And then, of course, you had an experience with this because when you were here at Dallas, you were working with international students. Isn't that right?
1: Yes. I was hired basically off the street Mm -hmm. when I was a student. They saw that I was always with foreign students, and they called me in to interview. They thought I might be a good fit. And I started as a part-time secretary and— eventually went to direct the office from 2004 to 2014.
2: Okay, so you were dealing with the myriad of international students that we have coming through. And I take it that their their experience in getting adjusted to a new culture um, fueled your interest in thinking about this topic.
1: Certainly. Most of the ministry I had done was overseas, so that mm-hmm. was my first exposure probably uh, during the summer. So
2: this had happened to you as well?
1: Not to the same level, but yeah. certainly on a short-term Mm -hmm. Um, perspective. And then working with foreign students, I was beginning to see and experience with them what they were going through and seeing patterns. And one of the other impetus to study was sometimes I would get questions in my office that we just didn't have data to answer.
2: Interesting. So where did you do your overseas? Where were you overseas?
1: I chose to become an international student. I had a sweet little host family, uh-huh. and I studied at King's College London.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, England, that's um, <laughs> not, too, a, not too too, too, uh, too radical a move. It's, yeah. I, I, of course, we were in Scotland, so I know what that's like. Um, and l- let's talk a little bit first about the value of, of, of switching cultures. What did you learn from that experience that, that uh, proved to be valuable and, and may even have helped you think about how to do this study?
1: Sociologically, we're prone to in-group bias. Mm-hmm. So anytime you can cross a barrier or a boundary, a border, you are getting exposure mm-hmm. and awareness, and you're not going to automatically think it up. Mm-hmm. So being able to see difference and observe difference then creates more even new neural pathways of how you might go about doing something.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Uh, my wife and I, when we moved to Germany and German. A society was structured very different than American society. There were certain things she could get away with doing in American society, she couldn't get away with doing in German society, that kind of thing. We talk about living by a different set of rules. And uh, the rules, you don't get to make the rules, and yet you have to play by the rules. And you're not necessarily saying whether the rules are good or bad, but in some cases you discover, hey, this part of life works more efficiently this way than the way I was raised to live it, that kind of thing. And so it opens up possibilities for thinking about how to live and how to interact. That's different. It pulls you outside your own world so you're able to look at what you experienced and what you grew up with slightly differently. We found all that to be pretty valuable.
1: Yes, agreed. Even in my own experience, we have um, what I call compassionate imagining mm-hmm. that when you are challenged beyond what you're comfortable thinking then you begin to either identify with the other person in whatever respect, but also challenge to evaluate, okay, what's biblical, what's cultural, what's transnational.
2: Mm -hmm. And so it leads to a very interesting uh, opportunity to to learn and think differently and interact. And as you said, it, it pulls you out of your own in-group. It develops – the word I use is empathy. It creates a sense of empathy and, and identification with the way different people live and sometimes why they do it, that kind of thing. And all that ends up being very helpful in forming kind of a – almost globals exaggerated because you can't live in all in all spheres simultaneously, but a more global perspective about about life and the way people live.
1: Even just more than one mm-hmm. is helpful and it's a good start. You, you would never anticipate someone else's need the way you would know the needs in your own group. Mm-hmm. So any exposure, awareness, um, learning different things is valuable.
2: Okay. So that's the background. We're trying to, to think about how what kind, of, what kind of experience this is to kind of shift space. And, uh, and what that does to people and how people think about their identity. So let's kind of do this in two steps. Let's talk about identity first, which is already complex enough, and then, and then think about what happens when, I, when, an, when a person who has an identity moves into a new space. So first, let's talk about identity. What did you work on, and, and how should people think about identity, their own identity, as they think about saying, this is who I am?
1: Well, the concept of identity isn't singular, so mm-hmm. I would say you could even say the concept of identities. Yes, we but, do the
2: same thing with cultures. Yes, exactly. But
1: if we were to speak of it as a singular concept, I would say it's one self view or one self understanding, mm-hmm. and you have different identities. So part of research is you you almost have to categorize the subject or the whatever you're looking at, whether it's religious identity, ethnic identity, sexual identity, gender identity. I mean, all of those are grouped. But you have more than one. Mm -hmm. So part of identity is in your given life and context, uh, whether it's, I like what um, one researcher has quantified as uh, relationships, rituals, and restrictions Mm -hmm. that would define your identities, Mm. whether they're ascribed. Sometimes identities are given to you. Mm -hmm. You know, you're born a daughter. Right, right. And sometimes they're achieved, so you decide to become an astronaut. That's right, yeah. So both of those could either some identities are put on us as individuals. Um, we certainly have identities in which groups we're in. Mm-hmm. And um, so, all of that.
2: So, when you were telling me, as you, when you were born, they, they didn't come out, Jenny McGill, scholar. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. No, that, that I <laughs> learned by God's grace. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that combination, that interaction forms our, our sense of how we see ourselves in the world how we react to what goes on around us, that kind of thing. What we assess, what we view our skills as being, that kind of thing.
1: And identity can be studied through many lenses, as you know. And Mm -hmm. the ones I chose were identity negotiation theory, which I won't go into the theorists, but Mm -hmm. that was one angle that hadn't really been discussed. And then Mm -hmm. the other that I really got interested in was a narrative view of identity. Mm -hmm. That Actually, how we create meaning is through the stories we tell or what stories we feel a part of mm-hmm. and that suddenly who we view ourselves to be is part of a narrative adventure
2: so everybody's identity life has a story that's attached that they to which they attach significant events that kind of show who they are
1: sure and <laughs> and from story of course you have lots of interactions that create that but i think viewing it as a narrative format helped in or how i wanted to study identity so there's such a thing called narrative identity mm-hmm. of how you tell your story over mm-hmm.
2: life. okay and of course christians are very familiar with that because obviously the giving of a testimony is a prime example of that kind of an exercise mm-hmm. um uh, let's let you, you talked about the narrative identity. There was one other I missed. I'm,
1: identity negotiation. Okay,
2: theory. now what is that? Now, without getting too involved.
1: Right, right. Well, there were two people that came up with it separately as a title, and mm-hmm. they differ in their definitions somewhat. But basically, they're saying that identity shifts. It, identity is both fixed and fluid. Mm-hmm. It is stable and yet sh- um, changes over time. Mm-hmm. So they were looking at how you uh, any individual or group would negotiate their identity over time, Right. where you have this amoebic, you know, it's like C.S. Lewis called it a curve and a waterfall, that the Mm -hmm. physical atoms of our body are never the same, but Mm -hmm. they do cohere so that you're recognizable.
2: Okay. So, I mean, and that if people think about their lives, just the jobs they do or whatever, where they, they might have a company that they work for, but their expertise within the company might be shifting as they are with the company longer and longer, it's kind of an analogy for what we're talking about. Sure. Okay. So um, okay, so let's talk about the research a little bit. What is it exactly that you studied? And because now we're talking about beyond identity, we're moving to the idea of, all right, identity in different spaces. How much does where I am impact how I see myself?
1: Well, that's exactly what I wanted to study. (laughs) Okay. So half of the book is more theoretical, where I'm going through different um, individuals who have discussed identity, and then I combine discussing the concept of identity of what your Christian identity might be theologically. Mm -hmm. That's the first half. The second half, then I pulled in the research I did internationally, thanks to all of the international (laughs) graduates who participated, Mm -hmm. to begin to see what they described happening to them. So. For the, I had two sets of, um, not samples, but students. One I inter- one set I interviewed, mm-hmm. and those were only returned migrants. And I focus on two particular areas where they were religious minorities in the world, okay. Christian religious minorities. So here you have a potential applicant who's a religious mi- minority in their local context, but a member of the ethnic majority. Okay. And then when they came to Dallas that flipped. Mm-hmm. And they became a member of the religious majority, so to speak, in North Texas, but then suddenly a member of the ethnic minority. When those interviewees moved, then it flipped back. Okay. I to study what their memory of, what they, how they viewed themselves, what changed, because I was able to have them from before, during, and then after. The survey then for my all the graduates was much larger, and I didn't get to access that information, but uh, still, be was able to relate it,
2: and so and and so, were you studying um, the impact of the move on the self definition of their identity? Was that the the focus of the study? What were you after?
1: Ultimately, I wanted to pull from their experience for to have a mess to give a message to North American Christians, and okay. I didn't, I couldn't predict what that would be, but I just knew that they would have valuable things to say. So, how? how they adjusted culturally Mm -hmm. you know i asked open-ended questions Mm -hmm. and followed where they took it how their faith impacted the decisions they made where they decided to live Mm -hmm. you know did they migrate based on what based on which reasons
2: Hmm. and and, okay so so you did this how how large how, how large a sample were you working with
1: um So I looked at international graduates from 1983 to 2013, Mm -hmm. 30 years, and there were almost... of all the people I contacted, I received 405 surveys.
2: Okay. And, and and so it's a 30-year period. Did you do any slicing of the years within which this happened, or did you treat it all as kind of one sample?
1: I took a I took the quantitative sample was all at one point in time okay. where they were in the U.S. Um, based on their experiences. Okay. So a lot of the questions were numerical, and some of the questions were, you know, what are your concerns – Based on identity, how did they evaluate their religious, ethnic? One simple thing is I just wanted to see how they how they categorize their multiple identities, which did they value? Maybe one over another. How do they? How were they talking about it?
2: Okay, let's let's zero in on that because that's interesting. So obviously they've got a nationality, they've got an ethnicity, they've got a religious orientation. Beyond those three, are there any other? Those su- are the three I limited to. Okay, okay. So um, and so they're they're processing that experience. You say they're moving from from minority to majority status and back to minority status with regard to both ethnicity and. Uh, and uh, religion, and of course, obviously their national place is changing because they're moving. Um, and and so you said you wanted this to, to uh, be for North Americans. Right, were you trying to help create an understanding of what it is for a person to change their situation, or were you trying to study what happens to people when they make that move? It was a little of both. What was, what's going on there?
1: It was pretty open ended, but I from my experience with foreign students, they had a powerful message of how to navigate life Mm -hmm. as a minority identity, Mm -hmm. in this case, Christian, Mm -hmm. of how do you stay nimble and adapt and adjust with all the parameters of challenges um, ethically Mm -hmm. of how to live. Mm. So that... I think I mostly wanted to hear their opinion on how to live as a minority.
2: Okay. Now that raises an interesting question. Why in the world would you think about even going there? I mean, in the sense of was there something that you saw that you thought was important to appreciate that took you to that to that kind of a question cuz most Christians at least in the United States would sit here and say, "Well, we don't see ourselves as a we don't see ourselves in cultural minority terms, or if we do, we're shifting into that into that realm. Is there something like that going on?
1: Um, maybe because most of my ministry was overseas, uh-huh. I was in environments where Christians weren't majority. Okay. I um, I don't know if I sought experiences where I. Discovered what it was. i, mean, I married uh, into. I married in, I have an interracial marriage. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was exposure. I think it was multiple things.
2: Huh, interesting. So okay. So let's talk a little bit about the results. What did you What did you begin to learn as a result of doing this study?
1: Um, one theme that came through both quantitatively and qualitative qualitatively was this sense of calling Mm -hmm. that whatever their identities were and however they arranged their particular pattern of uh, conceptual self-understanding the reasons they did things were motivated by their faith even the migration aspect whether to stay in the u.s leave come where to study so it was all very integrated Mm -hmm. and i think um learning from their stories how their identities migrated, but also they physically migrated based on a sense of stewardship. So themes of stewardship, calling, a sense of obligation to bless others because that um, God had blessed them. All those themes are in Scripture, and I saw it playing out in in these students as well.
2: So, um, so, so, you, do you have some example uh, examples of this type of thing about what motivated? I mean, I can imagine that obviously if you're dealing with students in the pool, they've come here to get their education and to better equip themselves for ministry uh, back home. uh, So you've got that dimension. The other thing that's in the back of my mind is, is the dissonance of doing that. In other words, coming into a different culture, learning in an environment completely different from the one they're eventually going to minister in and then having to make that adjustment on the way back, which is certainly a significant thing to have to wrestle with. So let's, let's do this in two parts, I'm thinking out loud. Um, uh, on the one hand, what, what's, what's motivating a student here is just the opportunity to primarily to uh, be educated and to do it in a different kind of environment and see what's going on in a different part of the global. Global Christian scene?
1: Well, I think for these students, I mean, yes. It, well, globally, s- studying in the U.S. is still a great advantage mm-hmm. academically. Right. These students, I believe, are coming to Dallas Seminary for the theological training. That's motive, you know, right. they chose this school over another for that reason. Right. But then I think they were surprised for those who I interviewed, return, for those who returned that I interviewed, um... They were surprised at the resistance they ran into, presumably going back to their home country,
2: having come overseas mm-hmm,
1: because they were perceived as Americanized huh. they some of their ideas were not as readily accepted because they were different, and why were they different because they' you know they were in America so uh-huh. the ideas could be chalked up as well, that's just that you just bring back America you know you yeah. don't want any of that and so yeah. they were really looking at maybe what they had combined of both that would be beneficial. And I think there was, um, in some cases, there were, it was threatening mm-hmm. because they did have more knowledge and training, and it had been four years, and nobody stay. even the people who stay in the national, the, the original country of origin, they haven't stayed the same. They've changed in four years, and if there's not, uh, another thing that came out in, in the research was if you're not maintaining that connection physically, you know, proximus either taking trips home, Skype or some connection, then you lose that and in mm-hmm. 4 years nobody's in the same place.
2: Interesting. So so you got you basically have two two uh what well, I say um uh, platelet, uh, pl- uh plates like, you know, um continents that are moving simultaneously at different rates and so you don't end up reconnecting in the way that you left the relationship.
1: Right. And Even for now, for those who had maintained a connection of some Mm -hmm. sort of proximity, whether verbal or physical, those were maintained, Mm -hmm. obviously. I mean, if you Mm -hmm. don't spend time in a relationship, it changes either way. But um, certainly that was a factor. So I think part of the transition returning was a surprise. And then they had to constantly, graduates or students at the time had to constantly shift being in a new environment. Um, and I give in narratives in the book uh, about what their experiences were that were unique and striking, and I I tried to make. I mean, they, all their stories were
0: interesting, so I pulled that into the the research. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com
2: Interesting. So so really we've got two parts here. We've got what happens to the person when they first make the move and come into a new environment. And then there's the whole experience of what happens when they take all of that and everything that's happened to them back, clearly not the same person that they were and with a set of influences that the the community that they're ministering to May not have any real understanding of at the same time, so it's a it's a double it's a double transition.
1: Readapt what they've adapted to learn to a new community that was an old community. You know, (laughs) it's it's interesting. Yeah, and then through all of that identity formation, Mm -hmm. uh, they had changes in perception. I tracked what they said changed the most behaviorally Mm -hmm. versus you know the practices or their um, thought patterns. What changed for Mm -hmm. them, and there were thematic uh, units that were similar. And then ultimately, all of this identity formation, the, the big theological point I make at the end of the book is their physical migration is a metaphor for our spiritual migration mm-hmm. and identity.
2: So we have someone coming from, I take it that the students that you interviewed were from a range of nations. Sixty-four. Okay, 64 nations out of – it's 405 students, is that what you're saying? So that's – okay, that's a pretty good swath of our world. Um, And they – boom – land in the United States. Uh, They may be struggling with the first language in some cases. Uh, They're certainly learning a completely new culture. Um, What are they dealing with and what does that mean for the identity? What was your study showing in terms of what the experience is like?
1: Um, Again, I assessed their religious identity, ethnic and national. And one of the difficulties they had in coming and studying in the U.S. was their, well, first of all, obviously they weren't ethnic majority anymore, but even the way Americans viewed race and culture is different than maybe they would have in their home country. So What was different was how Americans would translate the same material, so to speak, of a certain entity, whether it be how do you interact at church, how do you treat a person of a different color. All those things were upside down Hmm. uh, for the most part.
2: Mm -hmm. Interesting. And by upside down, you mean?
1: Different. So one student um, went into uh, a store at the mall. And the way she was viewed because of her dress, she could tell she was being treated differently based on her outfit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she wouldn't have gotten that in her home culture because they all wear the same outfit. Right, right. For the most part. And... um so the, And they actually were negative, treated her negatively based mm-hmm. on her outfit. And it wasn't even the color of her skin. It was yeah. the perception of her dress.
2: Interesting. Uh, and, and so, and of course, this happens in multiple ways and multiple levels. So it's reinforced and uh, and makes the experience of transition difficult. So it really is different. it's It's the difference between being at home and really... Recognizing, I am a stranger in a strange land.
1: Yeah. And even though you might know English mm-hmm. functionally, the words, you use different words and they mean different things. So mm-hmm. the word soon mm-hmm. or friend, mm-hmm. I mean, those are going to have different definitions based on which culture you're from. Mm-hmm. Or even the word colored, if you want to talk about race mm-hmm. and ethnic identity. The word colored in the U.S. is used for certain people, whereas the word colored in South Africa connotes a different type of person. Interesting. The way you define the same word mm-hmm.
2: changes. So you've got the same language in some ways, but it's not the same language. So there are all these adjustments to make. So, so how, 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 do, how do people make the adjustment? It seems to me they've got about a couple of ways to do it. They can, they can try and forge it on through their own, or they can find someone who can kind of help them negotiate their culture.
1: A lot of at times the graduate or students that came already knew about U.S. culture more than the reverse. So the mm-hmm. difficulty they would have was that Americans didn't understand their culture. But because of, you know, Hollywood being globalized, right. they, they knew more about our culture. <laughs> in, so. At least
2: Hollywood America. <laughs> yeah. So
1: um, I think that was a challenge is how they're surprised at how little... The U.S. culture might know about the rest of the world. About their world. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, and that, and that, I actually think that's a generic cross cultural experience in some ways that, um, that, that you go to a foreign place and inevitably you know, you're adjusting because you're learning what they're all about. But at this, and then, Depending on how much exposure they've had to the culture you come out of, they may know next to nothing about where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we found that when we went overseas, we were fortunate. We were able to in in both locations because uh, we've spent a significant time in Germany and a significant time in Scotland. Um, at two very different experiences because one, there is a, there was a somewhat shared language, I'll say it that way of, of the Queen's English, and in another case you're dealing with a second language. But we had um, people who lived in that culture who we befriended very early on. Two to whom and through whom we could ask our core cultural questions. You know, we knew the rules were different. We just didn't sometimes know what the rules were. And so this isn't working the way it works in the state. So how is this supposed to work? That kind of thing. And helping us to adjust um, to life that was being lived differently. Uh, And again, not in a sense of better or worse, just different, which means you had to figure out how to negotiate it right right um
1: so having a cultural translator helps and a lot of the students would go to ethnic churches mm -hmm. where they could find those you know agents so to speak and some wanted to experience and had more capacity experience difference so they would go to main maybe mainstream typical american um caucasian church or whatever that looks like and Mm -hmm. then they would Stretch themselves a little bit
2: more. Yeah, it, it, and that's a f- fascinating example. You actually see that with missionaries over who go overseas. There are two types. I basically say there are two types of missionaries: the missionaries who cluster themselves in a primarily Western environment, even though they're in a non-Western setting, and most of their life is lived in that in in that Westernness, um, and they minister out of that. And then other people who really just try and and live. Contextually and culturally, very much in the world in which they have moved into mm-hmm. two very different experiences by the way, mm-hmm. so um, uh making for uh, making also for a different kind of teaching capability I would say mm-hmm. in in that context as well
1: and from scripture, I can see that. We're prone to settle, mm-hmm. and sometimes you know God has had to kind of move His people mm-hmm. against their will, mm-hmm. and that's what fascinated me about these students: is they were willing to study transatlantically, learn, adapt, be flexible. Um, not some of them stayed, some of them returned, and there were a host of variables that determined what those were, which I also studied. Mm-hmm. You know what impacts their choice, but um, you know they were willing to migrate.
2: Now, did you figure out kind of what worked and what didn't? I mean, did you make an effort to study anything like that, or was it just raw, a raw assessment of this is, the, this is kind of the assimilation process people have to go through and wrestle with?
1: I most of all wanted to find what helped them culturally adjust mm-hmm. so that I could share that with other institutions who host foreign students. Okay,
2: now this is, this is the payoff. So, uh, <laughs> so what did you find?
1: Well, for these uh, religious students who are mm-hmm. studying theology, they're, the, the biggest factor that helped them were their local ethnic church. Hmm. Uh, the, what they rated helped them the most. It wasn't mm-hmm. the professors, it wasn't even my office, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily friends. I mean, all of those were ranked much lower. The greater factor was um, their the local ethnic church help, or it it didn't even have to be their own ethnicity uh, of church, but their local church was an impact, the greatest impact. So I would say, whether you're studying a religious institution or not, how to help these students connect to the networks that are local networks valuable to them. uh, definitely ethnic net networks would uh-huh. help so that they can get even finding the ingredients so they cook their food they're used to. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are only certain markets that sell, you know, certain things. Right, and, right. And finding where that is. Yeah,
2: so. we knew where those were in Scotland mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure. We knew where the American store was. So I think <laughs> the,
1: the greatest one was finding, helping s- connect students to their local networks in the context they're living interesting that are and hard to find. so
2: that so that even though they had moved there still was kind of a hand in the in in the place where they understood how life worked if i can say it that way
1: and i think it's identity yeah you do want to remember who you were you, you know you can't just be instable completely you right have a lot of shifting but there still has to be a base of coherence mm-hmm. and having that rem- memory and remembrance of something you're used to is valuable
2: okay so so local the lo- local environment was important what what, el- what else helped them to assimilate
1: well their faith mm-hmm. which is what I w- you know if I'm making this a secular project I just wanted to assess what they found was helpful and, and over and over again as ex- would be expected the way they articulated how their faith studied them through this process was huge Hmm. that was probably the largest factors no matter what happened financially academically they were bolstered by this sense of the sense of identity they were getting from god to pursue
2: now did you get a sense of what made this experience difficult for people as well or oh well sure i
1: think so um lack of community mm-hmm. everything everything was a challenge mm-hmm. everything took longer to do mm-hmm. whether going to the grocery store not having a car not being the words not meaning the same thing i mean it's exhausting that,
2: that's that's an interesting because i because we inevitably think when we go overseas yeah everything takes longer to do but that's because their world's less efficient than ours. But in fact, here's some people coming to the States and everything's taking longer to do. And and part of, part of it is, if I can say it this way, I think my guess would be part of it is not knowing the rules of the game and trying to figure that out.
1: Yeah, just contextual clues uh-huh. and situation, you know, how how is, like Dutch treat. You yeah. know, people would ask you to, I had so many students, um, not offended, but they fear they offended the party because... Uh-huh. Someone would ask them out to eat, and, and they thought, I mean, in their culture, that person pays, so yeah, they right. didn't come prepared. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's Dutch treat. So some of that I covered at orientations, the big things that would happen over and over again, how you respond to how are you, and um, not to fault America for being geographically isolated, because yeah. we are separated by oceans. We have right. been forced to interact like they have been uh-huh. over the years.
2: Yeah. Oh, there's all kinds. The list is long and interesting. Um, so, okay, so... Uh, And how do do many people write their experience? I mean, I'm I'm sure you asked them in the end, did they think it was a positive or negative experience? How how did they sort that out?
1: Everyone spoke well at Dallas Seminary. Mm -hmm. Um, Their struggles, I think, were more with how limited Americans' knowledge of the world is, Mm -hmm. if I can say it that way. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah,
2: no, we deserve the criticism sometimes. So,
1: and and again, if you are a member of an in group majority power, there's no motivation unless you're intentional, like, you know, me, right? Thinks it's super interesting and then seeks it out. But, you know, if you're unless you're intentional to cross boundaries in any way, and it it doesn't mean leaving your city, there are plenty of places that you could go and have an intercultural experience or interracial experience.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's always interesting to. Uh, in fact, it fascinates me. Uh, I do a lot of travel, obviously, I, in the states and overseas. And when I'm in the states, and you, you know, you just go to the television. Little metaphor. You just go to the television. I was just in Chicago last week, and you turn on the television. The only two foreign language uh, stations that you will see and it was, and this has been recent. There's a French station. Le Monde, uh has a channel, and then there's uh, there is a. Uh, a Japanese station. Okay, that was it. Uh, you go in Europe, and <laughs> you you can you can roam the continent in in the in the original language. There'll be an Italian channel. There'll be a uh, there'll be a German channel. There'll be a French channel, an English channel. There'll be a Croatian channel, a Russian channel. I mean, you literally get the, the whole full monochrome, and you watch a news report. And uh, in the United States, if you get a foreign story, it's usually because there are American troops in a particular land or something like that. Uh, Maybe a little fascination with Britain every now and then, the royal family, uh, uh, but most people have no idea what's going on in Parliament. Uh, But if you watch a British broadcast almost anywhere in the world, you will get a world tour every day. Uh, You will almost visit every continent every day in the news report. It's just a different way of – of orienting, and, and, and actually, that's somewhat identity driven too, because we were very much our own country and our own people. The British tended to have a commonwealth identity and connect, and we're interconnected in that kind of a network, and it's reflected in the way they view the world. So, you're right, oftentimes Americans have no clue about how someone from another country lives, what their values are, what drives them, what their news stories are, that kind of thing. It's yeah. uh, We live a very isolated existence in a lot of ways.
1: You know, some of my African students would get asked if they lived in a tree. Uh-huh. And, well, no, no, you know, <laughs> yeah. one of my Liberian students was a little cheeky and he said, I live right next to the Monrovian embassy. Uh-huh. So it's like a building. Yeah, right. <laughs> so things like that. I yeah. mean, nobody, they, I think the students... Uh, gave the best benefit of the doubt to the host country nationals that, you know, no one's trying to be offensive. Right, right. It's just obvious that we don't know as much about them that they, like they know about us. Because our
2: experience doesn't pull us in that direction at all. We don't have all. to. I mean, yeah, as soon yeah. as
1: we're subdued by a larger, bigger, you know, whatever power, then we'd be learning. And we'd, yeah. Like Babylonia to Israel. Right. So they had to learn how to adapt.
2: Yeah. Yep. Okay, so let's talk. So we've talked about the experience here. Let's talk about the experience going back. What what was, what was that like uh, for for the students? And and I can get the idea of the community that they came out of when they come back. Going, you've been Americanized.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. Th- th- Anywhere in the world, there's always going to be an in-group. And mm-hmm. so that group's bias would then be, well, you've left, you're different. Mm-hmm. You know, and anything that's, un- I think something about the unknown, the first response is what? Mm-hmm. Fear. Uh-huh. So walls are up. Uh-huh. And, and then it would be, you know, they go over and they had to tear down walls abroad and they come back and now there's new walls. And,
2: uh-huh. like, and walls okay. from people who they didn't used to have the yeah. walls with, yeah. which is even, can be a shock. Yeah.
1: One big thing is if they left an organization and didn't keep that, communicative connection sometimes the leaderships change right so in any church you know when leadership changed, vision changes, direction change yep. ministry changes so i think organizationally that was another difficulty not just maybe in their local community but organizationally they might come back to a place organizationally that's moved tech, you know literally not out of the city but um, internally moved and they're just don't fit anymore so mm-hmm. some of my foreign graduates went they saw it as a ministry opportunity to minister in their nation, but not the same local town. Hmm. So I had Southern, you know, because South India is more Christianized, right. some of them went to North India to spread uh-huh. um, the message that uh-huh. wouldn't be readily apparent or readily accessible. So then they had their own international, not international, but intercultural
2: Move within Keep their within own the com- country. Yeah, yeah well, mm-hmm. we, those of us in the south are familiar with that when we go to the northeast. <laughs> uh, so, <Same> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so they come back and they, they uh, do they, um, I'll uh, tell you
1: one, if I may, okay, yeah, sure. one other big, so, so organizationally there was changes, uh, there were changes ministerially, there were, um, potentially some perceived threat or, you know, who are you now? And right. part of it was just communicating again to get back on the same page. Locally, you know, their family had, hadn't changed. There wasn't any tension within the family unit per se. But what they got a lot of was that they were surprised. They got questioned why they came back. A lot, even their family's huh. expectation would be that you you have the opportunity to stay in the America. Why wouldn't you? Huh. It's so a lot culturally... Uh, it was actually a point of connection to share the gospel because the locals were like, Why are you here? Yeah. Why did you come back? So one of my Indian students, she had a doctor's appointment or something and the physician's a Hindu. And so they they just couldn't believe she'd returned and for what reason. So then they could use it they had actually come back based because of faith motivation and a purpose so that she was able to share that, um, albeit Incognito, because you have to be careful with how you're saying what. But
2: do the students recognize that when they come back, they have changed, and that that and that there's something to this perception that's coming from their old. Oh, ing-
1: absolutely. Well, at least at this point, when I interviewed them, they could name what had cha- how they had changed. Uh-huh. So punctuality had changed. Uh-huh. Um, organizational skills had changed. Um, less rigid thinking. Uh-huh. They had moved from more. Black and white legalistic thinking, maybe, to how to think and t- more nuanced and more critically. Uh-huh. Um, so they could they named uh-huh. um, the ways they had changed.
2: so 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 they had become a foreigner to their homeland, and they understood that they were a little bit of a foreigner to their homeland.
1: And and then it would just take extra effort to explain, you know, I'm not that different and yeah. you know, even though I'm different.
2: Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. So so um, so let's begin to wrap all this up and, and kind of put it into what kind of a package? What do you feel like you learned from doing the study and what what should we glean from what you've learned?
1: Well, in one sentence, I think that all of us should be more intentional about moving within who we think we are to reach out toward anyone else. Mm-hmm. So that internally, you're actually... I mean, I, Christian identity is transformative, right? Mm-hmm. So we should be changing right, in many ways. But I think this metaphor of migration in respect to identity, that forming a faithful Christian identity requires a migration within mm-hmm. ourselves toward other people.
2: God is moving us, and so we should be... Uh, appreciative that we're on the move and appreciate what being on the move means.
1: And to live in a way that we can move. Yeah. So, you know, are you... That would go from everything physical to spiritual is, are are you living in such a way that if God asked you to do something, you could? Mm -hmm. Because we're so burdened down with positions or possessions or whatever, you know, we'd be so strapped we couldn't be nimble.
2: Hmm. Hmm. And... uh, and, and, and there's, there's another thing that's important, I think, in what, in what your study represents, and that is the ability to move – and I mean this – uh, I'm saying it metaphorically, but I almost mean it literally – to move into another space, to come to understand with some sense of under, uh, of empathy – let me go back to that word uh, – a different space than the one you're used to. I take it that that is, that is a very important skill to be able to develop.
1: And I think it's biblical, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's not natural.
2: Yeah. So, so when you think of when you say that this is biblical, do you have any specific passages in mind that take us there, or anything like that? Or are you what, sure? Yeah.
1: Um, Philippians is a great one. Mm-hmm. Where and looking at the migration of God in Christ, mm-hmm. you could start there.
2: Okay. So it, by Philippians, you mean the example of Christ, Philippians do, and come to uh, in. Engage and interact with that, and and come to a um, uh, come to a, a form of presence that uh, that didn't previously exist.
1: And I think in Hebrews, um, it's talking about how Christ is able to identify with our weaknesses. Why? Because He inhabited our space mm-hmm. internally, externally, physically. I mean, all of the above. Right. If you if you don't extend yourself even to the point of risk and possibly losing, I mean, there's in extending yourself you're risking undif- in, undifferentiation so it's a careful balance and you know it's trial and error y- you you don't want to become the other person blending into them so much you don't have any differentiation but it's that uh, so there, there is a risk in trying to extend yourself that you might lose your sense of who you are mm-hmm. but that's why you do it in community and right. together
2: yeah interesting so um uh, that's a I'm so fascinated. I don't know. I'm not sure which way to go now. Doctor Box, speechless. (laughs) Yeah, I do think this is fascinating, and I think it's very, very hard for people to move outside who they are and develop the sense of empathy, which I actually think is important in developing community. I don't think you get community without it. So so moving into that kind of space, particularly with someone who is uh, significantly different from a significantly different background than you are, is not an easy move to make. And I do think it is very Christian and very… Uh, you know jesus taught us to be open to people who come from a different background i mean the whole parable of the good samaritan is based on the premise that the example comes from a posse, place and possession and position that that people weren't anticipating and so, all this is a very, very important uh, exchange in thinking about who we are and who we extend ourselves towards. So, Jenny, I thank you for coming in and talking with us about this. It's an interesting topic. I hope your research continues to do well. I'm sure it's paid off for you well in your job in, in Indiana Wesley. And we just thank you for taking the time to be with us today on the table. My pleasure. Yeah. And we thank you for being a part of the table. And we hope you'll be back again with us soon. Uh, to examine issues where God and culture come together.
3: Thanks for listening to
1: the Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu/the-table. Dallas Theological Seminary: Teach truth, love well.